You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. Something I look forward to every single Monday is hanging out with Dr. Chris Smith for The Naked Scientist. Doctor, how are you doing? Happy Monday. Hi, Lobo. You have me chuckling away there with the business about, <laughs> can I have a photo, please? Can I have an autograph? My story is a bit like that, actually. It's quite funny. Uh, and it's a scientific one. I was in Western Australia because I go there quite often when there's not a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I know Barry Marshall quite well. Barry has become a friend. Barry Marshall won the Nobel Prize uh, about 15, 20 years ago for the discovery of Helicobacter pylori, the organism which, if you have it in your stomach, can cause stomach ulcers, mm. intestinal ulcers and stomach cancer. So he's a pretty big shot. And uh, he also listens to my programs. So I'm, I'm delighted to have a Nobel Prize winner offering me some peer-reviewed feedback. But when I was out there, we were both speaking at a convention. It was Science on the Swan, this science meeting. And I was one guest speaker doing the after-dinner talk, and so was Barry. And and Barry Marshall always carries his Nobel Prize medal around with him when he does out and about in public, because people always want to see it. And it's a wonderful thing. He's got this medal in his pocket. And um, and so we, we were standing there together, and someone said, oh, can I have a photo of the two of you? So we got the, uh, got the two of us together, and he's got his medal out. And uh, it's in the photo. And so I put the picture of the two of us on Facebook saying, you know, can um, anyone offer any kind of possible things that Barry Marshall is saying to Chris Smith in this picture, just for a joke, joke, like caption competition. And someone wrote underneath, uh, Dr. Chris, can you sign this for me? Which I thought was hilarious. I showed it to Barry, wasn't very impressed. That is absolutely hilarious. So, Doctor, um, I, I so wanted to just let you know that this uh, last week we had an entire master class on the black hole. You would have been very, very impressed. Um, it was almost like a geography and a little bit of a science class um, at the same time, but it was extremely fascinating and interesting with obviously the revelation of the image of the one um, that is here at home in yeah. the Milky Way. Sagittarius and Sagittarius A star. Yes. Our, our supermassive black hole at the heart of the Milky Way galaxy. Yes. But, which, but um, obviously, it, much harder picture to take for that team, the Event Horizon Telescope, their feet. Yes, he, he had to explain to us why it was harder to take ours than the much bigger one that's further away. But it was a very, very fascinating discussion. But let's jump into all of the listeners' questions. O double one double eight three O seven O two and of course O seven two seven O two one seven O two uh for uh getting your opportunity to ask Dr. Chris Smith um anything science related. We've got Nolene in Eastgate. Hi Nolene. Hi, good afternoon. Mm, afternoon. Hi, um, my question is about uh, temperature. Um, this afternoon at 12 o'clock, it was 13 degrees outside, and I've got a jersey and a jacket and long pants and boots. But when it's 13 degrees in summer, I'm out in shorts and T-shirts. So isn't 13 degrees just 13 degrees? Why is 13 degrees in summer warm enough for shorts? And 13 degrees in winter, we all wrapped up and we all bundled up. What, what a good question, Nolene. <laughs> I also want to know. <laughs> I know, Lynn. Uh, I think there's a healthy helping of psychology in there. Um, if, if, as you quite rightly say, you have a thermometer, thermometers measure the average energy of the air, the ambient temperature. And therefore, if it's 13 degrees, it's 13 degrees. And the, the, the thing it can't take into account, though, is, is wind chill, which is obviously if, the, if you've got uh, wind rushing past you, it's going to make you feel a bit colder, even though the air temperature hasn't changed. So that's possibly part of it. The other possibility 
is that although the air temperature may be that, uh, if the sun has been shining strongly on a surface and that surface is nice and warm and it's radiating heat at you, although the air temperature hasn't caught up yet, the ground may be warmer. And so you're getting warmth from surfaces that are radi radiating heat at you because they've already warmed up in the in the sunshine, for example. So the the atmosphere is relatively transparent to heat and for that reason you can have sunshine warming up a surface and it'll get warm but the air won't be warm yet so i think there's a couple of factors to this but psychology always plays a role in these things it's summer therefore i'm not going to be defeated i'm going to wear short shorts and t-shirt whether you like it or not i'm going to pretend i feel warm i mean it works for the scottish tourist industry all the time and anyone who goes to Grahamstown in winter so there you go all right, and I'm wondering, Doctor, when you think about a South African winter, the sun can actually be quite warm. Mm, it can, absolutely. Quite, quite, quite close to the equator, very high in Joburg, for example. So therefore, you do tend to get, even in wintertime, quite a big hit from the sun. So surfaces can warm up and then radiate the heat back at you, as I'm suggesting. And in that way, although the air may be cooler, the surfaces that have got sunbathed are going to feel warmer, and that does have a temperature-elevating effect, even though the air may not have caught up yet. All right, um, some of the WhatsApp messages, and thank you for that, Nolene. One says, um, that's come through on the WhatsApp line, Hi, Doctor, my question is, what would happen if the Earth was tilted one degree more either way? Follow-up question is, how much does the Earth weigh? Terry from Cyprus. Hello, Terry from Cyprus. Well, the mass of the Earth, is six followed by 24 zeros kilograms. So if you divide that by a thousand to put it into tons, it's six and then 21 zeros tons. That's how much our planet's mass is. In terms of what would happen if you tilted it a bit more, the current tilt of the Earth, the obliquity, is about 23 and a half degrees. And I can answer this question with some authority because the Earth isn't always at 23 and a half degrees. It wobbles. As we go around the sun and as the Earth completes its rotations, it also wobbles a bit like a spinning top. This is called precession. Mm. And that wobbling means that we're not always at 23 and a half degrees to the sun. We sometimes are a bit more, sometimes are a bit less. And geologists can map those changes onto what the Earth's climate systems were doing. This makes a difference, not because the Earth is brought any closer to the sun. We stay a long way away from the sun that the tilt of the earth is is inconsequential but the amount of Earth's surface in the north or southern hemisphere that's presented to the sun does make a difference and in winter time your hemisphere that you're having winter in is tilted away from the sun and that means that you're going to get slightly less long days slightly lower sun in the sky and for that reason there's less energy going into that hemisphere, so therefore temperatures tend to dip down. But if you add that cumulatively year on year, you end up with quite a big impact on the climate. So the answer is when we get these big swings in the Earth's obliquity from one extreme to another, you do see a difference in what the climate systems do. And that does mean that it's, it's going to change the way that the weather patterns work. So there, there would be a difference. We know that because it's happened before. and We can see it written into various records, including ice records, isotope records of rainfall and average temperature and so on. So it would have a dramatic impact. Um, but luckily, that is not going to happen anytime soon, although it does happen over long geological timescales. And then how much does the Earth weigh? 
I answered that at the beginning and I said it was six followed by 21 zeros. Time. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's the part that I missed because I was just checking for our next caller. Thank you so much, uh, Terry from Cyprus, for those questions. Sunny Boy in East Rand. Hi. Hi, hi. Um, hello, Dr. Chris. Uh, the question that I have is so confusing. I don't even how to. I don't even know how to put it. But it's simply, um, when I play a radio or or something else, a radio in my car, and then I then uh, get closer to another car, I'll then um, tend to my radio will tend to tune uh, to that particular uh, radio, maybe radio or whatever that is played to that car that, that I'm closer to, and. Um, it sometimes confuses me that what is it as to say what makes that because um, I'll be listening to Radio 702, but the car that, I'm, that I'll get closer to, I'll then hear whatever that is played in that car in my car. So that confuses me. So I don't know what it is. Ah. So it's almost like your well, car what? picks up another frequency when you get closer to it in terms yeah. of the radio. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think I know what's going on here. Some devices have... Uh, a way of playing music or sat-nav instructions through the in-car radio. And they do it, sometimes the old-fashioned way, which is not Bluetooth. Bluetooth is the more modern way of doing this. The older-fashioned way of doing it was they put a weak radio transmitter in the sat-nav or in some devices in the car, which then you tune your FM radio on your dashboard into that frequency and you can then listen to the device. And you're supposed to choose a frequency which is blank on the radio spectrum. And it's a very weak emission. But obviously, when you get really close, you can begin to pick those things up. And if you happen to be on a frequency and someone has tuned theirs to a very close frequency to the one you were tuned into, you may be picking it up. I think that's what's going on. I had a sat-nav that used to work that way. I could tune my FM radio into a, a frequency that the I could then tune the sat-nav into too. And then one would my radio could listen to the sat-nav so that the instructions would come out on the radio and, and I could play music on the radio in the car rather than having to play it out of a tinny speaker on the sat-nav. All right, let's take a quick break. 011 with Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist. 702. The Naked Scientist. We're in conversation with Dr. Chris Smith, and of course, we're taking all of your questions. 0727021702. That's the WhatsApp line for your science related questions, and the where you can give us a call. 011 Let's go to David in Benoni. Hi. Hello, Kile. How are you? Fine, thanks. And you, David? Good, good. I just want to ask the good doctor there. Mm. What is now um, um, the connection with the. Uh, eating too much red meat that has been dried uh, with gout. David, do you suffer gout? Yeah. Are you having a problem? Yes. <laughs> well, what they, they call the barbecue, then I'm suffering from a, a terrible Ooh, gout. Doctor, yes, is it really yeah. related to the fact that the meat is dried and barbecued, or is it about red meat or maybe a combination of meat and alcohol? Do you drink, David? A lot, yes. Okay, what do you drink? <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm glad for your honesty, doctor. Yeah. Right, I'll listen on the radio, okay? All right, thank you so much, David in Benoni, doctor. Hi, David. First of all, what is gout? Well, gout is something, once you've had it, you're never going to forget it. But if you haven't had it, and for those not in the know, this is an inflammatory condition of joints, and it's what they call a crystal arthropathy. Crystals, as in crystals forming inside the joint, arthropathy, arth joint, 
pathy, something's gone wrong with it. And it is the deposition of small crystals of uric acid, which is a product of metabolism in the joint space, which is intensely irritant and pro-inflammation. And you get a very, very painful, very sore, stiff, very hot red joint. Now, a number of joints could be affected, but the most common one are on extremities like your big toe, the joint in your big toe, and also sometimes on the hand. I've seen patients with this happen to certain joints in their hand. And probably, they argue, those places are more vulnerable because they're colder or mm. more prone to get cold. And in cooler temperatures, you're more likely to form these crystal deposits in there. When they form, you get the inflammation and that causes the pain and when the pain subsides, the, the inflammation's gone down. But what caused the uric acid to build up there in the first place? Well, uric acid is a breakdown product of certain things in metabolism. And you can, you can get hyperuricemia quite naturally for genetic reasons. But some people are just more prone to this happening in response to diet. And the thing that can make it happen is if you have a lot of the materials that have a lot of purines and, and other sort of precursors to making uric acid in them. And so red meat is classically associated with gout and things like red wine also. So if you have... Um, so so red gout, wine is good for the heart. Your diet. It's good for the heart, but mm. not for the joints. Well, it's, it's not clear that too much red wine is good for the heart. A little bit of red wine is good for the heart. There are antioxidant molecules in some red wines. They are not there in huge amounts, apart from in some particular red wines. There are some wines that are grown very, very high. For instance, uh, Sagrantino um, grapes used in wines that come from Sicily, for example, grown very, very high. They contain extremely high levels of antioxidants. And these Tanak grapes that are uh, uh, in Sagrantino wines are, are high in antioxidants that will help to reduce the risk of some aspects of heart disease. But you can't use red wine as an alternative to managing your heart disease medically if you're at high risk for it, I'm afraid. So for that reason, everything in moderation. But yes, if you are prone to gout, then you will exacerbate the problem if you eat very high um, or, or, or foods which are very, very rich and high in these sorts of precursors. That includes certain cheeses, red wines and red meats. So if you have an episode of gout, then try and look at your diet and, and reduce those things a bit, and that will help to reduce the risk of a recurrence. Fantastic. Let's go to Pochiso in Rudapurt. Hi, Pochiso. Hi, Lucila. Mm. Hi. Uh, how are you? Good, thanks, and you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted uh, to ask uh, the good doctor there, what is the relationship between brushing your teeth and actually getting the stomach acid out of your stomach and uh, upsetting your whole throat. Can and you just repeat that again? So the difference between brushing your teeth and? The relationship between when you, you know, sometimes when you brush your teeth yes. like harshly, you would have like that acid, stomach acid coming up from your throat and then it upsets your, at the back of your throat. Mm. Okay, doctor, I'm not, then, I'm not sure if you're then, familiar with that. I, I, I think what you're referring to is that if you accidentally tickle the back of your throat too much with your toothbrush it provokes a gag reflex and that, this is this is when people one, yeah. say that um 
if if they sort of prod the uvula at the back of their throat, which is the dangly bit at the back of your throat, you you will make yourself feel very sick. And some people actually do this and do make themselves sick sometimes. So be careful. But when you provoke the gag reflex, it will cause some of the stomach contents to be expelled upwards because that's what gagging is. It's to expel stuff that you don't want inside you or to spit out things that are bad. And some of that is acidic, so it will produce a sort of burning sensation in the back of the throat and in the back of your mouth because you'll get the acid burn plus you'll get the taste of the gastric fluid and that will pr produce that un unpleasant taste and burning sensation because stomach acid is, is a, a very low pH and quite corrosive. It will also damage your teeth as well. So if that does happen to you, always important to rinse your mouth out afterwards to get the pH to come back towards neutral with the tap water. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Dr. Christmas. Thank you, Pochiso in Rudaport, for your question. Apologies to those of you we didn't get to. We'll do our best to include them next week.